Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. He created us. We belong unto Him. And it's important we understand that our lives must be governed by His Word and through His love. It's important we understand that all that Jesus accomplished for us in His great substitutionary work upon Calvary, the great sacrifice that He made and paid for us, should be so dear and precious to us. Our hearts should be overflowing with joy, knowing that God Himself in the person of Jesus Christ was willing to come to this earth to give Himself to us. Father, I thank You now in Jesus' precious name for each individual at the sound of my voice. We are not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith unto faith. And Father, I thank you for the anointing in this place, for the anointing upon your word, for the corporate anointing. I thank you for the yoke of bondage to be broken. And you devil that binds up the minds of men and women, we break your power now in Jesus' name. And for those that have been unable to come to Jesus, you will no longer, I said you will no longer interfere. For this night they shall hear that which shall set them free. And they shall be free indeed. Fear be gone in Jesus' name. Bless you, Father. In the wonderful name of Jesus. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And amen. Just find it in your Bibles, Romans chapter 10. Verse 6. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in your heart. Everybody say, say not in your heart. Who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from, from above? Or who shall descend into the deep, that is among the dead, in the bottomless pit, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, 
and shalt believe in all, with all thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, or right standing with God, and with his mouth he makes a confession unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Everybody say, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. I want everybody to realize that God has done everything He's going to do about our salvation. When anyone ever asks me how to understand the Bible, I always tell them, just go to the book of Genesis and find out how God intended it to be from the beginning. And when you go there, all you're going to find out is there was a perfect place without any sin, without any death, without any disease, without any darkness, without any thorns or thistles, anything that would hurt, defile, or cause pain or suffering was not found in that place. Can you say amen? Go back to the beginning. What do you find? You find a perfect environment. You find a perfect human being, Adam, with a perfect image, with a perfect purpose, but he's without a companion. And then you find he brought forth Eve... God gave her a perfect image, gave her a perfect purpose to be the helpmeet for her husband, to bring forth the plan of God, and then to be his companion. The man contains the seed, but without the woman he cannot bring forth the fruit. The woman can bring forth the fruit, but she does not have the seed. So together God intended them to live in a perfect environment, free from sin, free from sickness, free from disease, free from death, free from guilt, free from inferiority, and anything that would harm, hurt, or defile. Can you imagine living in a place where there would not be any sin, sickness, disease, or death? Can you imagine living in a place where there wouldn't be any selfishness, sorrow, suffering? That's what God intended. That's what He wanted. That's what He planned for. And in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1, it says that He has brought everything to its predestined end. He put the finishing touches on creation when He gave man and woman, woman the dominion over all the works of His hands. God was satisfied and given the man all power and authority in the earth to rule and have dominion in a perfect environment. But when the fall came, we see that His image, man's image, was darkened. We see that his purpose was hard to accomplish, their purpose. We also see that they lost their dominion, and we see their companionship suffered. And the world became, as we know it right now, in a fallen state, 
We see calamities, we see death, we see sin, we see lust, enticements, everything that you could possibly name. Now begin to filter the air, all the germs, clouds of doubt and unbelief, everything that would harm, hurt, and defile. The good begins to dwell with the evil, the evil begins to dwell with the good, and lo and behold, we have chaos. We see a man by the name of Cain killing his brother Abel. This was never to be. But can you imagine giving forth the children that are going to kill one another? But that's exactly what Adam and Eve were involved in. They set something in motion that they, they couldn't control. They didn't know what to do about it. Beloved, I want us to all have our minds renewed to the fact that God is not holding anything that has happened against us. God knows that we were not responsible for, for Adam's actions. God knows that there wasn't anybody here in this, in this church building today that was responsible for what Adam did in the beginning. He did it. We didn't do it. We are innocent bystanders. I don't care what kind of life you've lived. I don't care how ungodly you may think you are. I don't care how much sin you've been involved in. I don't care if you were the worst person that ever walked upon the face of the earth. I don't care if you consider yourself to be the worst father or mother that ever lived. I don't care if you lived in such sin and darkness that you, you, know, you thought yourself just to be in the lowest, like Paul says, I was the least of all the saints and especially cheapest of all sinners. I want you to hear the sound of these words. It doesn't matter if you were the worst criminal, cook, thief, murderer, and I could just go on and on and name and name and name. It doesn't matter what you were, what you did, what it looked like, what you think God thinks of you. I want you to know something today. God loves you and you have been set free. You did not set this thing in motion. You were not the one that committed the high treason. You were not the one that rebelled against the Almighty God. You were not the one that partook of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You were not the one that caused your body to be the way it is. You were not the one that brought anger into the world to cause you to be angry. You were not the one that brought open up that door and let those spirits come in that caused people to kill, to steal, to destroy, that drive people insane. You were not the one. You didn't do it. Isn't that good to know? You didn't do it. And so since you didn't do it, God doesn't hold you responsible for it. Adam did it, and God held Adam responsible for it. So consequently, he sent the second Adam. Who's the second Adam? Jesus is the second Adam. And when he sent Jesus, he didn't come in by an illegal door. He became in by the right door. See, the devil, when he came into the world, he had to steal the body of a serpent. And you know, when he went up to Eve, he didn't even introduce himself. He didn't say, hello, Eve, my name's Satan. Lucifer. I was. I was in, you know, the plan of God in the beginning, but I rebelled, turned my back on him. I said I would make my throne above his. He didn't do that. He didn't introduce himself. He came in by an illegal door, and he began to bring forth into this realm his kingdom of darkness and brought it here so that there could be sin, sickness, disease, death, and all the calamities that we face every day in life. But isn't it amazing that God, who is the creator of all life, is so polite that he tapped the man by the name of Adam on the shoulder, and he says, Adam, or I'm sorry, Abraham on the shoulder, and he says, Abraham, I am, he introduced himself. Didn't he? He says, hello, Abraham, I am the almighty God, or El Shaddai, or the God that's more than enough. He introduced himself. How would you like to be walking to work one day and you get a tap on your shoulder? 
and you look up. And it's Al Shaddai. You know, Abraham, I'd like to make a covenant with you. You see, way back here, this fellow by the name of Adam, he made a big mistake. And you know all that stuff that's around you, all that turmoil that you've been living in, and all that strife, and all that sickness, and all that sorrow, and all that calamity, and all that disease, and all that stuff that you hate that's all around you? Yeah, I heard about it. He says, well, Adam was the one that was responsible for bringing it into this realm. I didn't want it here, but he did. He allowed it to come. I want you to know, Abraham, if you'll listen to me, I'll be your Al Shaddai. I will be your shield and buckler. I'll be your exceedingly great reward. And I will protect you from all the things that Adam allowed to come into this realm if you will serve me and walk before me and stand uprightly. And Abraham didn't have to wait a minute, did he? He says, I want it. Did you ever notice that when God does something, he does it right? In the beginning, he created a perfect place. And then when he calls upon a man named Abraham to serve him, he says, I'll provide for you long life protection, and I will be your protection. I will be your almighty God. I will be the one to stand against your enemies if you'll serve me. Why would you want to do that with me? Well, you see, there's a plan that I have. And you know, the Bible says that Jesus appeared unto Abraham. Caused a deep sleep to come upon him, and Jesus appeared unto, unto Abraham. And Jesus, remember when he's telling the, the, the Pharisees, he says, Jesus was glad to see my day. And they says, what are you talking about? Or Abraham was glad to see my day. He says, what are you talking about? Jesus said to them, well, before Abraham was, I am. said, you're not but 50 years old. How do you know Abraham? See, back there in Genesis, he appeared to him. And taught him the gospel. And he said to Abraham, he says, I will be your shield. I'll protect you from all the things that the devil has brought into this realm if you will only just come to me. Beloved, all you need to do is to come to Jesus. As time went on, we began to see that Abraham followed the Lord. And he did exactly what the Lord said for him to do. And he lived to be 175 years old. Died in a ripe old age. But we see at 135, somewhere around there, he got married again and had more children because he wasn't satisfied with life. So God provided for him a perfect place, a perfect dwelling place, a perfect habitation so that he could live out the days of his life upon this earth to be a ripe old age. And he didn't die with sickness and disease. He just departed. Well, then we see Moses and the law coming into being. And we see God speaking to Moses and saying, Tell this people, if they'll only come to me, I'll forget their trespasses, I'll wipe out their sins, their iniquities I'll remember no more. Just tell them to come unto me, and I'll provide for them a perfect place, a perfect utopia, so to speak, a spiritual one, where I will be their God, and they will be my people, and I will take sickness and disease away from the midst of them. And likewise, they'll live to be a ripe old age, and the number of their days I will fulfill... And there not sh shall be any miscarriages among them. Won't be any barren in the land either. What do they do to deserve that? Nothing. This is all on the planet of God. He says, I'll do it for them. But yet we see Israel did not do what God told them to do. They wouldn't come to that place. They wouldn't just come to Him. He would have wiped out everything that was their enemy or adversary. But they wouldn't come to Him. They wouldn't do it. 
finally went under the leadership of Joshua. They got into the land, Canaan's land. You know what happened? They couldn't maintain the land. They got in. They got a deliverance. And before you know it, they were back in bondage to the enemy. They couldn't maintain it. Then finally, Jesus walks upon the face of the earth. And when he broke into this realm, this realm of the, this physical realm, I want you to know that he was Jehovah manifest in the flesh. I want everybody to grasp this right now. When Jesus appeared and began to walk upon the face of the earth and was anointed with the Spirit, when he was baptized, it was Jehovah manifest in the flesh. They had their covenant keeping God in their hands and didn't know what to do with him. By the way, I want to ask you a question. Why did Jesus, the Son of God, the Immaculate Son of God, who in whom is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, why did he have to be filled with the Holy Ghost? Why did he have to receive the Holy Ghost? I'm not going to answer it. I'm asking you a question. Why did Jesus, the Son of God, have to be filled with the Holy Ghost? He's God. Anybody here agree with me that Jesus is God? Why did he have to be filled with the Holy Ghost? But see, he's God. Is God divided? No. He had to receive the Holy Ghost because he was a man also. Under the old covenant as a prophet. So consequently, he too likewise had to receive the Holy Ghost. And I want you to know that he didn't begin to do anything against the powers of darkness until he received the Holy Ghost. And when he did, he began to turn that kingdom upside down. Now, here we are. God has made us an offer. He says, I'm going to offer you up my son. I'm going to nail him to that tree. I'm going to put on him all that Adam brought into this realm. I'm going to take the effects of his sin, of the curse. I'm going to take everything, the disease... In other words, the open door that came by the way of Adam's transgression that brought in the kingdom of darkness with its sin, with its death, with its disease, destruction, with its doom, I'm going to take it all and I'm going to nail it to that cross and I'm going to cause my son to take the blame for what Adam did. And in Isaiah 53, which is exactly what the prophecy here, which is exactly what Paul was referring to, he's quoting Isaiah, he says, Who has believed our report? Who has believed our report? No one's believed it. No one's believed the report of what Jesus has done. Beloved, I want you to see Jesus. We sing the song, How Wonderful He Is. We sing the song, How Beautiful He Is. Beyond all our dreams and, and expectations. Beloved, I want you to see Him first in His humiliation. I want you to see Him there on that cross just for you. Because you see, God doesn't blame you. He's not holding anything against you. Anything you've ever done in your life, if you come to the blood of Jesus, is not only forgiven, but it is remitted, means it's wiped out under the blood, and it does not exist. I've heard believers say, well, the Lord showed me something I did before I got saved. No, He didn't. I said, no, He didn't. He says, but I thought it was the Lord showing me something before I, that I did wrong before I got saved. No, he didn't. That wasn't God. That was the devil. 
How do you know? Because the Bible says that when you came to Jesus, all was remitted. Remitted does not mean I forgave you, but still remember it. Remitted means God has taken what you've done, put it in the sea of forgetfulness, and caused it to be non-existent any longer. You don't even exist until the day you was born again. If you can swallow that and see it right. Anything you've ever done in your past has been remitted. And when you come to Jesus, if you came to Jesus today and you lived the most ungodly life, if you lived a life of horror, if you feel as though that it was the worst possible life anybody can live on this earth up to this point, up to tonight, right now, you say, I've done all these things in my life. I've, all these things happen. I've been on drugs. I, I, I've murdered. I've stolen. I've had an abortion. I've done this. I've done that. If you think of all those things, I've committed, you know, all kinds of crimes. If you come to Jesus right now, if you come to Jesus at this moment, if you came to Him right now, His blood would cleanse you. He'd wash you in that blood. And consequently, the Father would take everything in your past life and put it in a sea of forgetfulness and it would never be existent again. Gone. In whom we have the remission of sins. That's all wiped out. You know why? Because God knows it was the influence of Adam bringing them forces of darkness into the earth that caused you to do those things. You were under the rulership of that wrong spirit. So God knows that you were not accountable for it. Other than the fact that you were being led as you were to bring forth out of your heart that which was of your father. The wicked one. But the moment you came to Jesus, or if you come to Jesus tonight, as you come to Jesus, I want you to know, beloved, it doesn't matter who you are. The blood does not just provide forgiveness. Saint, if you did something today, yesterday, for which you're so sorry for, and you knew it was wrong, I want you to hear the truth. I want you to believe the report. The blood of Jesus is far greater than the blood of animals and, and bulls and goats. The blood of Jesus does not only provide forgiveness for the sin, but it also provides remission. It means it's wiped out. It is non-existent. And if anybody brings it up to your memory five minutes after you ask him to forgive you, it was not the Holy Ghost. It was the devil to try to keep you under condemnation and in bondage. See, God can't bring something up that he chooses not to remember. He puts it in the sea of forgetfulness. It's gone. It's wiped out. Now, I want you to see Jesus as the second Adam on the cross. And I want you to follow the flow of His blood. I want you to see all that He became for you and for me. The Bible says the Father made Him to be sin. Everybody say, the Father made Jesus sin. For me. He knew I wasn't guilty. So He made Jesus sin for me. See, Adam was the guilty one. We're the innocent bystander. But we're guilty in Him. Because he did it and we're, we're born of the flesh. But the second Adam on Calvary, the immaculate, spotless, holy Son of God on that cross was made sin for you. The one who didn't know what sin was. The one who was so holy that sin and, and holiness cannot dwell together. That's why the Father turned His back on Him. I want you to see this great Son of God who turned this world upside down, who walked upon the water, who raised up the dead, who multiplied the loaves and the fishes, who, who did all the wonderful, miraculous things that He did when He walked on earth. God put Him to that, to that cross. He caused the sin of the human race. 
He caused the kingdom of darkness in full force to enter into the Lord Jesus Christ, into His Spirit for you. He made Him to be sin for you who knew no sin. Why? So that you could become. So that everybody say, so I could become. The righteousness of God. In right standing with God. To be His child. So He did that on Jesus. He caused Jesus to be sin for us. He caused Him to take upon the, the, the punishment of sin for us. Everybody say, He made Jesus sickness for me. Disease for me. And so you see, the stripes that we're talking about upon His back, those are not the stripes by which we're healed. Those are physical stripes that the Roman lictor put upon Jesus' back. Those aren't the stripes by the which we are healed. The Bible says, by His stripes we are healed. It says, it pleased Jehovah to bruise Him. I want you to see that vividly. It'll bless you. Jehovah, God, His Father, it pleased Him to bruise Him. Jehovah caused the sickness of the world, the disease of the world, to come on Him. Say how? He lifted His hand. Remember that Jesus says, I'm not alone because my Father is always with me? Well, on the cross, remember He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, that's right. He was forsaken of God. Despised of men, but then forsaken of God. And when He was forsaken of His Father, here's a suspension of grace. As long as the Father had His hand there upon Him, He was free from that power. But when His time came and He's supposed to suffer the sacrifice for the human race, He took His hand away and that suspension of grace caused the fullness of the curse to come upon Him. So in that respect, Jehovah, it pleased Him to make Him to be sin. It pleased Him to make Him to be sickness for us. Also, a third thing, and if you're having any problem with your mind, just listen because your mind will get set free. The Bible says the chastisement of our peace also was upon Him and with His stripes were healed. In other words, Jesus became our mental, our peace of mind. He took upon Himself anything that would cause us not to have peace of mind. In spirit, in soul, in body, He has provided everything that a man or a woman could ever hope to have in this life because the Father made Jesus take all those things upon Himself on that cross. So now you see Him hanging on that tree. You don't see His spirit, you see His body. You see the bleeding, and from the outward appearance it says He says, no, no man, because of uh, how He was beaten. But, beloved, that was not the horror of it. When you begin to see beyond the flesh and see the spirit of the man, the holiest Son of God, where sin never dwelt, where it never lived, where it could not live, ever, until he says, okay, I'll become the sacrifice. Sin enters into him, death enters into him, darkness enters into him, the kingdom of darkness enters into him in full force. And he says, my God, my God. He never called God like that. He called him Father. But he cries out, you have forsaken me. You turned your back on me. How come? Because he became sin. I want you to see on that cross, I want you to see beyond the flesh, and I want you to begin to see the Spirit of our Savior becoming sin. You see, beloved, it was in the spiritual realm that all this took place, not in the physical. Adam fell to a physical realm, but in the spiritual realm, that's where this took place. And in the spiritual realm, all this came upon His Spirit. And when His Spirit left that cross, I want you to know, oh, glory be to God. I don't believe we've ever begun to see the depths of what took place in that sacrifice, the supreme sacrifice. 
all the hostile forces of darkness, all the demons of hell, all the imps of hell, all of Satan's powers, all that he had, when he finally got a hold of the one that was turning his kingdom upside down, he says, now we've got you, and now we're going to destroy you. The Bible says, had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But I want you to see Jesus doing this for you. I want you to begin to see the ex to what extent he suffered for you. Satanic influence takes a hold of him. The Bible says, Hell is moved from beneath to greet thee at thy coming. And because he was made the sin substitute for mankind, for the human race, he enters into the place of suffering. And it's not just halfway down, beloved. It is all the way. He bore on him the fullness of the curse. He bore on him the, himself the fullness of sin. Every sickness, every disease known to mankind. The Bible says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made the curse for us. You go back and read Deuteronomy 28. It says every sickness, every disease, the curse of every one of them came upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He became the curse. He became the sin. He became the sickness. He became the disease. He became the mental anguish, mentally deranged. It all came upon him. If you could have seen the spirit of the man, there's no way you can behold him. And I mean to tell you, there wasn't anybody in that compartment down there because there wasn't anybody that was worthy of that kind of punishment. The only one that was worthy was he that committed the high treason. And when Jesus entered into the realm of the Spirit for those three days and for, for those three nights, it wasn't to have a party and it wasn't to have a picnic. He entered into the lowest regions of the damned. He entered into Hades itself. He entered into the lowest pit, the lowest compartment with the fullness of the powers of darkness upon him with the purpose of destroying him, annihilating him, and keeping him there, causing him as much suffering and anguish and pain as he po they possibly can. And I want you to know at the beginning, they thought they had him. They thought he was gone. They thought he that turned our kingdom upside down now is here among us, and there's no way he's going to escape us. But I want you to know, beloved, on the third day, when the Father looked down from his throne, when the Supreme Court of Heaven was satisfied, when they saw that, yes, he has suffered for the human race, he has taken upon himself the sin of mankind, he has paid the price because of what Adam did in the beginning, the second Adam did exactly what he wanted him to do, and that is to be the substitute of the sacrifice for the human race. He suffered all that he was supposed to, the supreme suffering, the supreme act of suffering. And there he, the Father said from heaven, it is enough. It is enough. It is enough. I've seen enough. The Bible says, when he shall see the travail of his soul, not his spirit. There in Hades, when the Father will see the travail of it, when he sees the travail of it, he will be satisfied. And the Father was satisfied. The Supreme Court of Heaven was satisfied. And when he spoke those words, the Spirit of God, the glory of God entered into his spirit, he was justified. And when he was justified, the Bible says he was raised up or made alive or quickened by the power of the Holy Ghost. And when the life and the power of God came into His Spirit down there in the region of the Dan for you and for me, He threw off or hurled back the powers and the forces of darkness. He destroyed them. He annihilated them. He hurled them off of Himself. And there was a great war and a combat down there in that region of the Dan. The Bible says that He stripped Him of all of His authority. Who's Him? The devil. 
Jesus says, I'm going to enter into the strong man's house and I'm going to bind up the strong man and I'll divide the spoils with those that are my own. And he went down there and took a hold of him. He took a hold of that rat, the devil. He got a hold of him and stripped him of all the authority that Adam gave to him. The first Adam gave to him, but the second Adam did not sin. And he took a hold of all the power and all the authority. He made a shame of him, an open shame of him right there before all of his you know, cohorts, all before those that were cooperating with him to destroy the human race. And right there, in front of his own followers, Jesus defeated the devil. He paralyzed him. He brought him to naught. He brought him to nothing. And he did it for all of us. And when he, after he did it, he was raised up from the dead. He appeared there in the garden. Mary saw him and said, he said, Don't touch me, Mary. Don't touch me. I have not yet ascended to my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. And then he raised up on high and went into the holies of holies as the Lord High Priest. He went in there with his own blood in his hands. He walked over to the Father's throne. He told the, the cherubim and the seraphim to move aside, step aside, get out of my way, I'm coming through. How do you have access, they said. He says, look at my blood, look at my blood. How are you going to get in here? They have flaming sword to keep any man out. And he was a man when he was raised up from the dead. He says, look at my blood, just look at my blood. And they stepped aside because they recognized the blood of the Lamb. And he walked over to the Father's throne. He looked at the Father and he says, I've come with my own blood. Will you accept it for the sacrifice of the human race? Will you enter into a blood covenant with me and, and vindicate mankind and let them go free because they were not the ones that did it anyhow. It was Adam who did it from the beginning. And the Father says, Yes, son, I'll accept it. I'll accept that blood. I'll bind myself to your blood. I'll bind myself to your word. I'll accept the sacrifice that you've made and that you paid. And Jesus got his own blood. And if you would have seen it, there was a great hush in heaven. But he got his own blood and he began to walk over to all the sin-stained heavenly utensils of worship where, you know, the sin of Adam caused even the heavenly utensils of worship to be sin-stained. And he walked up there and he began to drop his blood and sprinkle his blood over all the heavenly utensils of worship. And he finally came over to the seat of God that was a judgment seat, the mercy seat. And he threw that blood over there on that mercy seat, on that judgment seat. And from a judgment seat, it became a seat of mercy where he would not have judgment on mankind, but he would have mercy. Come through the throne of grace where you can receive mercy and find grace to help. God's not holding your sin against you. God's not holding your trespass against you. God has set you free by the blood of the Lamb. The Father has already accepted it. In, in the second Adam, you have been set free. And who the Son of Man has set free is free indeed. All the angels of heaven looked around. They began to shout. They began to rejoice. They began to be glad. There was the greatest hallelujah party. Probably shook the whole world. The whole world up there in heaven. I mean, they never saw anything like it before. That a man would walk and approach God with that blood and cleanse all of them heavenly utensils of worship. And then the Father said, Now I want you to go by the power of the Spirit. I want you to send the Spirit. Because remember, Jesus says, I'm going to send the Spirit when I go back up there. I'm going to send the Spirit to come down. And I want you to give birth unto my children. I want you to see the Father, His eyes. I want you to begin to see as He looks down to this earth. His eyes are running to and fro throughout all the earth. For what purpose? To show Himself strong on somebody's behalf. Someone whose heart would come unto Him. He's looking for you. He's trying to find you out. To figure you out. Who do you want to live under? The rule of the first Adam or the second Adam? That's what He's saying. You can die in Adam if you want to. I won't force you. But if you'll come to me, if you come by the blood of the, of, of the Lord Jesus, if you'll just let me sa- set you free and sanctify you and wash you in that blood, I'll give you life. I'll give birth to you. And the Holy Ghost came on the day of Pentecost. And when the Holy Ghost came on down here, I want you to know the greatest working of God's almighty power took a man. Jesus was born out of darkness. But you see, the Bible says we were in darkness. And when the power of God came inside the spirit of those 120 that were there on the day of Pentecost, the life, the nature, the power of God, literally. I don't just mean what was in Adam. 
having the life, the nature, the power of the living God, Jehovah, the El Shaddai, the Almighty God, the blood of the Lamb has cleansed us and made us free so that the Father could come and dwell in our hearts and give His life into us, His nature into us, to cause us to be new creations, to be new creatures, a new breed that never before existed. We are not just a people that existed before under the rulership of Adam. We are a new people that are under the rulership of the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been birthed from or born out of the womb of God. We are His very old children. He is our Father. We are His sons and daughters. We are His very temple. We have the life and nature of God in us. And He has set us free and washed us clean from all that past by the blood of the Lamb. Beloved, that's who you are. And if you're not born again, God's not holding anything against you. If you're not born again, He's not, you know, committing, counting your sins or your trespasses against you. He doesn't, it doesn't matter to Him. All you need to do is just come. Just say, I come. And if anyone comes to Him, He'll know why He's cast anybody out. He'll not turn His back on anybody. And if you are a saved child of God, and you say, I have need of mental healing, my mind needs to be whole. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter what kind of sins you committed in the past. All you need to do is come to the blood of the Lamb, and He freely will give you the kingdom. He'll freely pour out His healing power to you. If you have need of healing in your body, you say, I want my body to be healed, but I don't know whether I'm good enough to get it healed. I know God will do it for me. Beloved, you can never be good enough for God to do it for you. Jesus made it possible for God to do it for you. And He did it freely in Him. He caused it already to come upon Him. He already took your infirmities. He bore your sicknesses to another place. He set them there in, a, in the pit of hell. He left them down there. And He came to give us life more abundantly. That's exactly what He did for us. But Lord, He says here, who shall believe our report? Who's going to believe all this? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Jesus did not bring sickness and disease to this world. He brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Jesus didn't come to cause us to have heartaches and, and problems in life. Jesus came to make us more than conquerors and world overcomers in this life. Jesus didn't come so that our marriages can break up. He came to bring life and health, healing to our marital relationships. He didn't come to destroy children's lives. He came to give them life more abundantly. That's Jesus. That's what He's done for you. That's what He's done for me. But you say, where is all this power at? Go back to verse 8. No, back 6, verse 6. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh... Everybody say that righteousness speaks. On this wise, don't say in your heart who shall ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. I know He's in heaven. But don't say in your heart, how am I going to get God to do something for me by bringing Christ down? And who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up again from the dead? He's not down there any longer. But what saith it? What? The righteousness of faith? What does it say? What does the righteousness of God say? It says, the word of reconciliation is very nigh me. It is in my mouth. It is in my heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, healed, preserved, set free. For what the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth he makes a confession unto salvation. All you need to do, beloved, to, to, to enter into the, to, to the born-again experience, to enter into eternal life, to be healed in your mind, to be healed in your body, all you need to do, all you have to do is believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins, to believe in your heart that Jesus died for your mental anguish, to believe in your heart that Jesus died for your physical healing. Believe it with your heart and say it with your mouth, and thou shalt be 
saved, healed, preserved, delivered, set free, kept by the power of God. All you've got to do is believe it with your heart and say it with your mouth. I preach this to a little woman who was sitting on a couch, tears streaming down from her face, from her eyes. I mean, she was just in such pain. She couldn't stand up. She couldn't walk. She couldn't. She tore all the legments in her leg. I preached the same message. I told her exactly what I'm sharing with you tonight. I, I just give the same simple message of Jesus did all that for her. She looked at me. I said, now if you accept Jesus Christ into your heart and to be your personal Lord and Savior, He'll also heal your body. And she was in such pain, she couldn't even touch the ground. I said that to her. She says, I'm ready to pray. She says, Jesus, come in. I accept you as my Lord. I accept you as my Savior. I receive you into my heart right now. I thank you, Lord, for saving me right now. And she took a leap off that couch in the air and she jumped on that leg that she couldn't even touch the ground with because of the, the pain that she was in and she began to dance around the living room. She began to do the jig right there in the living room. I just stood up and looked at that woman and I said, glory, glory, glory to God. Why? Beloved, who hath believed our report? You believe Jesus died for your sins? Then you don't have to be a sinner. You believe Jesus died for your sicknesses? Then you can be healed. You believe He died for your mental anguish? We can have peace of mind. Now you're a saint. What is the key to victory, to maintaining this land that the Israelites couldn't maintain? You believe all that if you're a saint. If you're a sinner, if, you're not, if you don't know God, you can come to Jesus and be a saint just like that. Is there anything you can do to accept, accept it? If you're a saint, and I know you saints are ready to hear this. What could I do to keep the power of God so alive in me? What can I do to cause this manifest presence of God to be alive inside me, to benefit from all this, to keep my mind stable, to keep my body healed? All you need to do is be filled with the fullness of the life of God. Whenever there's anything in our body that's contrary to the life of God, all you need to do is realize this. My spirit has more room for the life of God. Remember the Bible says to, the, to those that were already saved and spirit-filled, he said, be, be, be being filled with the spirit. Remember Paul wrote to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus, and he said to them, Speak to yourself in psalms and hymns. Don't be drunk with wine or in excess, but be being filled with the Spirit. But be being filled with the Spirit. To know the love of Christ that passes knowledge that you can be filled with all the fullness of God. Everybody say, I can be filled with all the fullness of God. Say it again. I can be filled with all the fullness of God. Say it again. I can be filled with all the fullness of God. Say it again. I can be filled with all the fullness of God. You ready for it? You want to know how? It'll set you free. It'll turn you loose. The first thing the Holy Ghost did... Now remember this. He brought the life. He recreated the Spirit. The first thing that the Holy Ghost did was move upon their hearts and recreate their spirits and give them a language whereby they magnified God. They spoke of the wonderful works of the Lord. And out of that new heavenly language, the Bible says, they were filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke with other tongues and magnified God. And Paul said in Ephesians, to don't be drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled or be being filled with or full of the Spirit or the life of God. How? Speaking to yourselves. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, speaking to yourself. God wants you to talk to yourself. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He's talking about singing in other tongues. 
Paul says, I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the understanding. I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the understanding. And when you begin to magnify God in other tongues, when you begin to worship the Lord in other tongues, when you're going to speak forth that phrase in other tongues, do you know what the Bible says? God inhabits. Everybody say, God inhabits. The praises of His people. I've been brought forth out of darkness into the light of life. To speak forth the praises of Him that has called me out of darkness. See, and when you sing that forth, when you speak that forth in this new language, in this heavenly language, beloved, the Bible says God inhabits you. God dwells in those praises. He lives in those praises. And He fills your spirit up with the fullness of that life. It runs over. Your cup will run over. It'll spill over through your soul. It'll spill over to your body. It'll get upon you till it's like electricity. It'll flow out of you. It'll get your body, your pores. It'll get your cells to respond to the life of God. That's why the first thing that happened was they spoke with other tongues. They brought forth the power of God, the manifest presence of God. And God kept filling them, and they were overflowing and filling them and overflowing and filling them and overflowing. And Paul said, that's the secret of it. Stay in the Spirit. Who created life? God did. Who sent forth the Spirit? Who did? There's only two places in the New Testament where it says the Spirit was given by God directly. When I say directly, I mean without the help of man. You follow me? There's only two places in the Bible where it says God Himself gave the Holy Ghost to anybody apart from the help of man laying hands on it. God didn't use laying on of hands for the first two. That's where the Jew and the Gentile, on the day of Pentecost He did it, and on the, on the day He went to Cornelius' house, He did the same thing. And when He did it, when God, everybody say, when God the Father gave the Holy Ghost by Himself and moved upon the hearts of the Jews and of the Gentiles, they all spoke with other tongues. So when God does it, you get it all. That settles the issue, beloved. So with that life, you'll be filled with the life of God. It'll flow in you, through you, until it gets on you and then out of you. You want it? You want it? How many of you want it? How many of you just just satisfied with being saved? Oh, I never was satisfied with just being saved. Although it's the greatest miracle could ever take place. I had to get filled. But then when I got filled, I still wasn't satisfied. There was something clawing within me. And that was to bring forth the manifest presence of God. That was to be full of Him. Till it flows out of me. That is to become, to recognize and be acquainted with the outflowing power of His resurrection. Saints, I want you to know you've got something that will keep you with the power of God. It's other tongues. Because when you pray in the Holy Ghost, the Bible says your spirit is actively involved with the Holy Ghost. Teaming up together to bring forth the power and presence of the Heavenly Father. So no matter where you're at right now, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not born again... I want you to know that God does not hold anything against you. There isn't anything that you've done in your entire life. There isn't one sin you've committed that cannot be wiped out, remitted totally, in totality, by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and 
forgotten in the sea of forgetfulness so that the Father could never bring it up again to remind you of that sin. If you are a saint and you've committed wrongdoing and you've stayed away from the Father because you think that He's reminding you of all this, if you come and ask Him to forgive you and to cleanse you, if you read 1 John 1, 9, the Bible says that He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. That, that means also to wipe out the punishment that was due of that sin and also to remit it or to forget it or put it in the sea of forgetfulness that He could never remind you of it again. If you're a child of God and you say, I've experienced this in my body, I need to have the power of God flowing through me for healing, I want you to know that if you didn't get it through the laying on of hands, if you didn't get it through the prayer of faith, I want you to know that God has given you of His Spirit so that you can stir up the gift of God that is within you and the power of God that is within you so that the life of God can flow up in you, the light that is in you can pass through the, your understanding through your soul into your body to make your body respond to the life of God that's inside your spirit. That is the program of God. And it doesn't matter where we're at right now, we can all be Free. Let's all stand before the Lord right now. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.